Thank you. Thank you. Father God, we thank you for Paul. We thank you for his wrestling, his learning, his listening. And now we praise and bless you and thank you for his speaking. We pray, Lord, that you will come by your spirit and anoint him and prepare our hearts to receive all that you want us to learn and know today. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Is that okay? It's working? Good. Thank you. The flowers look really beautiful this morning, don't they? Bright yellow colours. Very impressed with them. Um, Opening God's word. I have turned it on. The light is on. Is it here? Can you hear me now? No. No, probably not working. I'll use that. Thank you. Um, Reading through John's epistle, there are a couple of things you will discover. But first of all, our title today is that Jesus is the Son of God. And when you read through that, one thing that becomes very clear from from John's epistle is that what he's saying to us is that don't trust anybody who doesn't, who, who, who denies that Jesus is the Son of God. Don't trust them, those who deny that Jesus is the Son of God. And as you read through that epistle, what you will discover very quickly is John has got two aims in his mind. And the first aim is very, very clear, and which is the one that we were going to focus on. What he wants to do is strengthen the faith of those who believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he wants to strengthen our faith. That's why he's writing that epistle from Ephesus to all those people to whom he's ministering to. And his second aim which it's worth mentioning, but we won't focus on, is that he wants to help people understand that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took on flesh and then came down to earth and died on the cross for our sins. So the two aims and the one clear aim that we are focusing on this morning is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, there is a reason why John is writing this letter because there are people who are not happy with the statement that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, who are those people? So I'm going to ask a few questions, and as, we, as I answer those questions, it will unfold for us. <clears throat> so who are those people? There are four groups of people there he's talking about. And you can actually put them in three categories, the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> and I'll go for the bad ones first. And they are the people John mentions in his epistle that they were from within. They already knew the gospel message, but now they were distorting it. So they are the bad ones. They've gone bad. They absolutely knew, and now they've turned against. But they are doing it very subtly. And, you know, in our own times, this is happening from Durham to London to Canterbury. You can find people who know the gospel but they are distorting it. So there are the bad ones. Now the next group is the Jews, and I call them the good ones. And the reason why I call them the good ones is it is marvelous having all those Pharisees and all those Jews that are mentioned 
in the Gospels, and I think they are doing a great service to us because they are the ones who really know Scripture. They really know the Old Testament. So if anybody stands up and says that I am the Messiah, I'm grateful for them to stand up and turn around and say to this person, show me this from Scripture. They are challenging all the time. And many became Christians, just remember that. So they are the good ones. And then there are the, the ugly ones. And they are the pagans. They wanted to bring their kind of worship into what was happening. And so, you know, they are also denying the, the worship side of Jesus, and they are beginning to distort that one. But then there's the fourth category, and they are the culture vultures, aren't they, really? Because they are the Hellenistic people who want to have everything translated into modern culture. And it is not, not, not politically correct to say these certain things these days, so they will distort the gospel. And we can identi identify quite a few of those where we are, and we can see them from where, where we are sitting today, that, oh, it's not correct to do that. So we can't mention sin these days, and we can't mention obedience, and we can't do this, and we can't do that, and we will get those ones. So we've got the four kinds of people who have an issue with Jesus Christ being the Son of God. What are the issues? Issue number one, they're having problems with the Trinity. The monotheistic God, but the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they can't just get their head around it, and they have got problems with that. Number two, there are people who have an issue with the sonship of Jesus Christ. It's the one that we're focusing on. Number three, they have a problem with the resurrection. They believe that Jesus has died, but have a problem that Jesus rose from the dead. And number four, of course, again, John is dealing that in his epistle, and that is the one that they are worried about as he's coming back. He's returning to come to judge the living and the dead. So they are all talking about the timings and everything else. So we've got these four groups of people who are distorting the gospel, who are, have issues. And they ha the particular issue, as, as I said, we were going to focus on is the sonship of Jesus Christ. Now you can imagine what a fuss this was creating at that time, the whole thing. And you can imagine this, this, this new TV reporter, 24-hour 24 news, and immediately he's got his microphone, and he goes to Jesus and he says, well, Jesus, they're saying that you're not the Son of God. What have you got to say about this? So there's the microphone in front of Jesus, and now he's got to answer. Now, the great thing is, John has recorded that for us in his gospel message. And if you read through when you get the time, but I, we won't read that through this morning, but if you look at John chapter five, verse 15 onwards to the end of the chapter, there is Jesus saying, yes, I am the son of God. And he goes through all the points. So we'll pick up the story after the healing at Bethesda. And this is precisely what Jesus does, doesn't he? He chooses to heal somebody. He chooses the timing of it. And on this day, he chooses the Sabbath. And then he chooses to tell this man he's just healed, pick up your mat and go walk. Now, as if things were not bad enough, 
when the religious authorities find out about this, they come to confront Jesus. And what does he tell them in verse 17? My father is still working, therefore I must continue to work. Well, that went absolutely ballistic with them. They were already mad at him. And they turned on to equality with God? Kill him. Blasphemy. Kill him. You know, they went totally mad. The minute he said that he was the son of God, his father was working. The minute he said God was his father, equality with God distorted it a little bit. And they wanted to go really to the end and kill him. But Jesus says what? No, I am the son of God, but I'm not claiming equality with God. And he goes through the list. And if you look at John chapter 5, go through the list. The first thing he says is, I do what I see the Father do. Hold on to that thought and bring it to the next one. The next one is, the Father shows me what to do. Now, those of you who've had children, you know exactly what that means. I see my father do it, therefore I do it. Father-son relationship. And then the next one, the father teaches the son. He learns from the father. My father shows me what to do. I do what my father does. Immediately, he's saying, I am the son of God. And then the third point he makes in there is very clear. He says, the father raises the dead, and I will raise the dead. He's already established that God is his father. He's showing us God is, he's God's son by all of these things. And there I want to take a little pause and just reflect, isn't this amazing that Jesus is standing there and saying to these people, I've got the same DNA. He's my father. And what he's saying is that, that really that very Philip moment, isn't it, in chapter 14, when Philip turns around and says to Jesus, show us the father. And Jesus, Jesus is incredulous. He says, what do you mean, Philip? Haven't I been with you for such a long time? What is happening here, he is the true image of God. He is reflecting God to these people. Nobody's seen the Father. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's the Son, but he's reflecting God totally to people. Can you see what he's doing that? You know, I am here. So unpause and let's move forward to the next couple of things that Jesus does but the Father doesn't do. There's a difference here. It is Jesus, the Son, who took on the flesh, went onto the cross, died for our sins, and rose again. The Father didn't do that. Jesus, the Son, did that. And the next thing, and this is very clear, this is what the Father has delegated to Jesus Christ, the Son. He, it is Jesus who is going to judge us. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. That has been delegated to Jesus. So here Jesus is saying, I am the son. I reflect the true glory of God. 
I've got the DNA of God the Father. He's my Father, and I'm coming back to judge and living in the dead. Now, that list continues because Jesus, John has recorded for us, goes on to four more points. And they are the witness of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, he, he was the prophet, so he, his witness is there to say Jesus is the Son of God. Then what we have, Jesus says to the people is, believe me by my works. The works I do, I'm the Father's Son. And then he says, the Father himself says that, the fourth, third point. This is my Son. This is my Son. He says that. And the fourth point that Jesus makes is that I will raise the dead. I will come to judge the living and the dead. And then, you know, very clearly, you know, our friends, that good people who are challenging, Jesus says to them, but go and search the scriptures. They will tell you who I am. So when he was being challenged, and the people who know the scriptures, he's now saying to these very people, look in the scriptures. They'll tell you I'm the son of God. So he's absolutely put the case in front of this television reporter, and John's recorded it for us in John chapter 15. Have a good look at it. But John carries on, doesn't he? Right to the end of the gospel message in chapter 20, verse 31 onwards, he says, guys, guys, listen, you know, there's so much more I could put in this gospel, so much more stuff, but I've chosen these things so that they are a witness to you so that you can believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So I recommend that you read the whole of the Gospel of John to find what he is saying about Jesus being the Son of God because John absolutely completes his gospel by making that statement. What I find fascinating about John's gospel is that it covers only 21 days of Jesus' life. Three and a half years, 21 days, that's what it covers. It's not a very big gospel message, but he focuses on the sonship of Jesus Christ. But if you look at the other gospels, Matthew's gospel will, will look at the promise of Jesus Christ, the promise of the Messiah. Mark is looking at the, at the power of Jesus Christ. The Luke, Luke's gospel is at, at the nature of Jesus Christ, and John is looking at the sonship of Jesus Christ. So here's the case. Here's what we believe. So where do we go from here? We go to that point where John says, those who confess. Jesus is... Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And it is now that Peter moment, isn't it? So we had the Philip moment, now we've got the Peter moment. And the Peter moment is this, that um, when Jesus asks them, he says, what do you think people say I am? Well, of course, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's Peter moment. And we are invited by John to look at this evidence and to make our confession. So this morning, we're going to use the creed. Now, what is the creed? I mean, in a, in a nutshell, it's the executive summary of the whole of the New Testament. So if you want to understand the New Testament, 
You know, I mean, if you have a very big company report to read, what do you do? You read the executive summary. It's got exactly what's going to be in that report, and that is in front of you. It's just one side of an A3, which has got all the doctrine in there, the summary of the, uh, the, the, the gospel messages, and all the letters. That is the creed, and we use the creed for three purposes. What are they? Affirmation. You want to know that I believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We want to say it together because it brings us together into unity with one, one, uh, one another, joins us together. So it's our affirmation, but it's also our proclamation. We proclaim the gospel through the creed. If somebody asked you, what do you believe in? Oh, here's A3, the creed. I believe in this because we all say, I believe we believe, if somebody asked you what you believe in, it's the creed, it's the proclamation, it's the exact summary. You know, it's there for you. And then the third thing we use the creed for, because it's the exact summary, is our worship. You know, those pagans wanted to bring in all these different kinds. We worship the risen Christ. We worship God. Our worship is around his throne. So we use the, the creed for those purposes. So this morning, what we'll do is uh, we will go through the creed again. But before we do that, let me play you this video clip. Have a look at that. It's only a short one. And then we will read the creed together.
Um, let's stand and read the creed. 